I don't know how many of you caught the opening ceremonies for the Olympics. I guess that was Friday night, maybe. We, uh, we stayed up as a family and watched it. Most of us made it through. Well, actually, only a few of us made it through it. But uh, it was neat to see all the nations coming through uh, that stadium. It made you think, on the one hand, about what the kingdom of God looks like. How God is going to bring in the nations to Himself. And every tribe, tongue, and nation will be before the throne, uh, worshiping God. Singing holy, holy, holy. So that's a great picture. And we just saw a glimpse of it. Just how even sport can rally the nations. Uh, how much more can Christ rally the nations around himself. And so it was a neat picture uh, seeing that. But also just seeing the different countries march in. And the different uniforms. And all the different things that was going on. But one thing that struck me. Uh, as the United States Olympic team came walking through the stadium. There was one Olympian that was... Uh, wheeled in with a, on a wheelchair and then got up and kind of made her way through the line for a little while through the stadium on crutches and then went back into a wheelchair. And uh, if you're not familiar with her, her name is Heidi Klosser, and uh, she is a freestyle skier. And she qualified for the Olympic team. She went to Sochi, you know, obviously going to participate and compete in the Olympic Games. But in one of the time trials or moguls, she uh, broke her leg. So she, before even getting to the starting line, starting line of her first event, her first race, she breaks her leg, tears some ligaments in her knee. And so as she's laying there uh, on a hospital bed, you know, she looks up at her father and she says, you know, am I, am I still an Olympian? Even though I didn't get to compete in the race, am I still an Olympian? And her father looks down on her and says, you know, of course you are. You made it here. And the reason she's an Olympian is not because she won the race or that she earned a certain color medal, but she qualified. If she had the skill, the talent, the ability to make it on the team, on the U.S. Olympic team, and therefore she is an Olympian, even though she may not win silver or gold or bronze, and she's not even going to be able to compete in the race because of injury, but she's still considered an Olympian because she, she qualified. And whether it's the Olympic team or any other great team, you, know, you have to qualify to be a part of it. So whether it's the Olympic team or even the kingdom of God, the people of God, you have to be qualified to be a part of that. You have to be qualified to be a Christian or to receive what Paul calls the blessing of Abraham. And what we're going to see in Galatians 3 is that we're going to see, okay, what is the blessing of Abraham? And how, how am I qualified, or how can I become qualified to receive that, to receive the blessing of Abraham? And what Paul's going to do, he's actually going to quote a number of passages in the Old Testament. But he actually quotes two passages from the book of Genesis. And I want to look at those first to set up the stage for what he's going to tell us about this idea of the blessing of Abraham and how we qualify to receive it. The first passage that he quotes is found in Galatians 3, verses 7 through 9. And this is what he says. He says, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to, beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. 
And here Paul's quoting a passage from Genesis chapter 12 when God reveals himself to then Abram, and God will later change his name to Abraham, but God reveals himself to Abram. You know, Abraham and Abram did not seek out God, God sought out him. And God made himself known to Abram, and this is what he said to Abram in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. He says to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. All the nations of the earth we bless through you, Abraham. Now, that's great, but what does that mean? What kind of blessing is he talking about? How can all the nations of the earth, thinking about the, you know, the stadium filled with all the nations of the world just about in this Olympic Games, how do all those nations benefit from Abraham? What kind of blessing is he talking about? Well, he takes us again back to another passage in Genesis. He quotes it in Galatians 3, 5, and 6 when Paul says this. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? So a few chapters over from Genesis 12 to Genesis 15, Paul's quoting this passage found there. In verses 1 through 6, I want to read that from Genesis 15 to give you the context of what Paul's getting at. He says, After these things, the word of the Lord came, came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him. As righteousness. And so in this passage in Genesis, you see Abram hearing the promise of God. And it says that Abram believed God and it was counted or credited to him as righteousness. And so we see that this idea of the blessing of Abraham has to do with righteousness, which has to do with right standing before God. You know, what qualifies us to be in right standing before God. And, and what does this mean that Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness? Well, let me try to illustrate it this way. Let's say you have a, a large debt, massive debt, like student loan debt, or a huge mortgage, or it could be uh, an automobile you know, debt that you have, or some massive debt, and you're even thinking, how could I ever even repay this debt? And... Someone comes along with you know, a lot of money and says, I know you have a, a huge debt, a debt that's so large you can't even pay it back in your lifetime. And they say, you know, I have resources 
And what I want to do is I want to pay off your mortgage, your student loans, whatever they may be. And so he writes a check, and obviously you're very thankful when you take the check and you send it off to the person that you've borrowed all this money from, and your debt is paid. And so what has happened is this person has given you the resources you need to be in right standing with the one that you had borrowed all this money from. And that's what, it's, that's what I mean when I say, you know, you have been made righteous now with the lender. You've, be, you've become uh, in right standing with the lender. Your debt has been paid. That's what I mean when I say righteousness. And I think that's what Paul's, Paul means here when he says righteousness. And then he tells us in Galatians, there's actually two ways that people try to obtain righteousness. There are two ways you can try to be in right standing with God. One way is through the works of the law. And the reason he's writing this letter is because there are some who have creeped into the church in Galatia and begun to teach that the way to obtain righteousness was through the works of the law. Not simply faith in Christ, but also through works of the law. They believed in order to have right standing with God, to have your debt paid, your sin forgiven before God, you needed some type of you know, hybrid righteousness. And what I mean by hybrid righteousness, you've heard, you've heard the term hybrid, because you know cars nowadays, more and more cars are becoming hybrids. Which means you have gasoline power, and you have electric power, and together, they, they kind of work together to help the car run, and run well, with higher gas mileage, you know, that kind of thing. So you have this hybrid machine. And what these teachers were doing in Galatia is they were saying, in essence, you need this hybrid type of righteousness to be acceptable to God. You need, on the one hand, faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, that has to be there. But also you have to obey the law, the works of the law. And together, this hybrid righteousness makes you right with God. Paul tells us in verse 10, he says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So he's addressing this idea of works, righteousness, this idea of hybrid righteousness. And he says this, and just let this sink in for a moment. Think about it. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. He's quoting there from Deuteronomy 27, 26. James in his New Testament letter says it this way. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Now, just think about that. The only way for us to be righteous is for us to, to obey the law of God perfectly. Which means, obviously, not doing anything evil, but also meaning we do all things right with the right motives. Always. Perfection. Now, I doubt we have anybody here that would say, you know, that's me. <laughs> I've never done anything evil and I always do things with the right motives. You probably wouldn't say that about yourself. 
I know I would not say that about myself. And as you think about this, then when Paul says, okay, if you've not obtained perfection where you have, you've never committed anything evil, you've always done the right things for the right reasons, if that's not you, then guess what? You have a debt that you owe God. In other words, you have sinned against God. And God is holy, He's perfect, He's righteous. And so, like John says in 1 John, God is light in Him, there is no darkness at all. And so you begin to think, okay, well, if God is perfect, just, holy, pure, and I'm not, then how can I have right standing with God? And what you realize is that I have a debt of sin that I am unable to pay. And God requires a righteousness that cannot be obtained through the works of the law. In other words, you can't be good enough to obtain the righteousness that God requires. And that is what Paul says in Galatians 3, 11 and 12. He says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. In other words, he's laying out these two ways. These two ways to obtain righteousness. One, the works of the law. And the other is by faith. And he says that no one is justified before God by the law. Now, back in Genesis you saw that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And now Paul says you cannot be justified by the law. And actually these two words, righteousness and being justified, are very similar terms. Uh, To be justified is to be declared righteous. So, for example, uh, to have your student loans paid in full or your mortgage paid off is to be debt free. There are two ways of saying the same thing. If you are righteous, then you are justified. If you are justified, then you are righteous. Okay, they come from the same terminology. And so Paul is telling us that the only way that we can be declared debt-free before God is through faith and not through the works of the law, not through our good works. Now, if you, like me, are aware of your sin and you have just the slightest picture of the holiness and goodness and justice and purity of God, you realize that we have a problem. If I can't attain righteousness through my good works, and I have this debt that I have to pay, and I cannot pay it through my good works, how am I going to be in right standing with God? And if you think about it long enough, that will lead to a point of despair, because you realize, I am unable to bridge the gap. I can't obtain that type of righteousness. Now, the issue in Galatia was not that they didn't know how to obtain righteousness. And we're going to see later, they do know how to obtain righteousness. is through faith. However, they were living in a way and began to think in a way that was not in line with that belief. In other words, the way the Galatians were beginning to think was something like this. Let's say you, you had your student loans paid off, your mortgage paid off, all your debts paid off, and yet you 
every month continued to write the checks and send them in. <laughs> so you have a $500 a month student loan payment. The, the, the debt has been paid and yet you're still writing $500 checks every month and sending them in. You would think, what, <laughs> what are you doing? You know, your debt's been paid. Why are you still trying to send it in, trying to you know, take care of that debt? It's already been paid. It's done. Why are you writing checks every month to these companies again? And that's why Paul says in verses 1 through 6 at the beginning of Galatians, listen to what he says. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? In other words, someone must have put a spell on you guys because surely you wouldn't wouldn't do this just thinking logically because you know your debt's been paid. Why are you still writing checks? He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? You see the contrast there. Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Do you suffer many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law Or by hearing with faith. Just as Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. So. So you and I. We owed a debt. That we could not pay. So let me ask you this. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ. If you have. For the forgiveness of your sin. Your debt. And God declared you righteous in his sight. Because of the work of Christ and your faith in Him, why are you still trying to send in payments? Why are you still trying to present a hybrid form of righteousness before God? Thinking that it's by Christ plus your good works that He accepts you. And Paul's saying, you know, is that how God works? Does God give you His Spirit because you've earned Him? Does God make you into the person He wants you to be because of how good you are? Does God work miracles among you because you're such a good rule follower? The answer is no, 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 and no. None of those things are true. Paul is, is going against this teaching that we need to have some hybrid form of righteousness. So if, if this cannot happen, if we cannot be declared righteous by our own works, then how are we to obtain righteousness? Well, it's through faith. Look with me again at Galatians 3, 10-14. He says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not a faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. 
So Paul says the only way that you and I could stand before a holy God and be declared righteous is if we are declared righteous. The only way we can obtain righteousness is being in Christ and being declared righteous. Now, if we cannot obtain that through our good works, how does that happen? Well, Paul tells us that, on the one hand, when you sin, you are cursed. In other words, the consequence of sin is to be set apart, separated, cut off from the blessing of God. So when you sin, you are cut off from God. Okay? So all mankind is cut off from God in and of themselves. They cannot have a relationship with God because you must be righteous to have a relationship with God. And he tells us that if we have broken God's laws, as we see here in this passage in Galatians 3, 10 through 14, then we are accursed or cut off from the blessing of being in a relationship with God. And then he tells us that Jesus Christ, this is how we are brought into a relationship with God. Jesus Christ redeemed us bought us back, paid our debt. And the way He did that is that He became a curse for us. And so, you're just, just about 2,000 years ago, when Christ died, He not only died, but He died for your sin. He took on your sin. He took on my sin. He took on our debt on Himself. That was the purpose of His death. And without the cross, you have no gospel. There is no good news apart from the cross. Because in the death of Christ, He paid our debt. He took care of our sin debt. So that, Paul says, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the nations or to the Gentiles. So what is the blessing of Abraham? The blessing of Abraham is being declared righteous. It's being declared debt free. It's being justified. It's realizing that our righteousness does not come from our works, our good works, the works of the law, but rather it comes from another. It comes from Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul could say this to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Listen to what he says. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so when you stand before God, when you stand before a holy God, what are you going to bring before Him To make you acceptable to Him. What's going to qualify you to stand before and be accepted by a holy God? Luther says the only thing you can bring with you is what he calls an alien righteousness. I love that term. An alien righteousness. In other words, a righteousness not of your own, but from another. So the only way you can be qualified to be in a relationship with God is if you are clothed with the righteousness of another. If you're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. That is what makes you right with God. That that is what puts you in a 
right standing with God. Not just at the point in which you place your faith in Christ, but forever. When you place your faith in Christ, you are righteous in God's sight. You are not acceptable to God because of some hybrid righteousness. It's not Christ saved you, He declared you righteous, and now you have to maintain your righteousness. That is not the gospel. That's what they were preaching. Faith in Christ plus good works equals righteousness. No. Paul says, righteousness is declared upon you because of the work of another. That's grace. You don't earn grace. You're given grace. That is the gospel. You're accepted by God because of the work of Christ, not because of what you have done. And so the question is, are you qualified? As you stand before God, think about standing before God and what are you going to bring before Him? Why should He let you into heaven? Why should He let you into His family with all your sin? What are you going to bring? What are you going to show Him? Are you going to look to your morality? Or are you going to look to your Messiah? What are you going to be clothed with when you go before the Lord? And so in the midst of our brokenness and sin, in the midst of our brokenness and sin that we all experience, through faith in Jesus Christ, we look up at God and we ask the question, am I qualified? And God looks down on you if you're in Christ. He looks down on you in your brokenness. Just like that father looked down on his daughter. And he says, as he sees you in Christ, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Not your righteousness. The righteousness of Christ if you're in Christ. And he says, yes, you are qualified. It is an alien righteousness. We don't qualify ourselves, but we are qualified by the righteousness of another. And that person is Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you now realizing the only way we can is because of the righteousness of your Son. If anyone here knows their own heart, They know that we owe a debt that we cannot pay. That you are perfect and holy and good. And as we look at our own heart, we realize we're not. And then we look to the gospel and we realize that even though we have a debt we cannot pay, and you require a righteousness that we cannot obtain on our own, that you have made a provision for us by sending your own Son That through His life, His death and resurrection, that we can be given a righteousness. That we can have our debt paid forever. And we can be qualified to be called children of God. Well, I pray that each person here would be qualified. That they would have faith in the righteousness of your Son. And be clothed with His righteousness through His life, death and resurrection. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.